You are listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 19. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. I don't have the answers, but we do have a solution, man. And uh, it's just going to take a little bit of willingness and a little bit of honesty, man. And then at that point, just trust the process. What, what you got to lose? The reality is you're going to have to do it like you did the dope or you did the meth or you did the coke. You're going to have to do it like you did that. And you did that by all means necessary. You've stole from your mom. You robbed people, whatever. You, you ran over people. You, you run through them. Uh, you, did, you didn't try to do that. You did it. So when it comes to actually working your recovery, you need to do the same thing. The same amount of ambition. The same amount of drive. Encouraging, inspirational, and life-changing content that makes a difference. Created specifically for you by OakCreekWellness.com. All right, welcome back, Addiction Support Podcast listeners. It's your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. I am excited this week about my guest for a couple of reasons. One, he's doing amazing things in the recovery uh, community here in Phoenix. He was introduced and described to me as a spiritual gangster, so he definitely is all of those things. And you may know him because you know him. Or you may know him because you are familiar with a band that he used to perform with, the Funk Junkies, which they were huge here in Arizona and it sounds like worldwide. So my guest today is the Milkman or Milkman, aka Jesse Valiente, aka Spiritual Gangster. I will let you guys know, Jesse, um, this <laughs> podcast episode does have some swear words in it. They're not offensive, I don't think. They're in context and stuff. But if you have little ones around and you don't want them to hear that, or if that's something that you're offended by, please go ahead and just go ahead and skip this episode. You can listen to next the next ones. Uh, but I want to give you guys a heads up because I love and respect you. I also want to remind you that if you'd like to share your story, either on the website, addictionsupportpodcast.com, or be considered to be on the podcast, go ahead and go to addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash share your story. And you can find out information there about how to submit your story and be part of the movement that we have going here. Hashtag share your story. Let's work together to let everybody, you know, there's people out there that are hurting. There are people that are having a hard time getting out of bed today because of what's going on in their life, because of someone they love, or because of their own addiction. So let's share our stories. Let's let people know they're not alone. Let's let them know that there is treatment available, that there is hope available, and there there are solutions. So they don't have to live with that pain, with that shame, with that guilt, with that heartache. You don't have to do that all by yourself. We are here. We are together. We are doing this together. You don't have to do it on your own. That's all I have to say. With no further ado, please enjoy this episode from the spiritual gangster himself. Jesse, take it away. All right, so I'm sitting out here. It's a gorgeous sunny day in March here in Arizona, and I'm sitting with my new friend. I was introduced to him as he actually was told that you were the spiritual gangster, and I had to talk to you. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jesse. And I'm a little fangirl right now because back in the day I used to go to your guys' concerts. He was the milkman with Funk Junkies here in Arizona, if you guys know about that. So I really appreciate you for coming out and sharing your story with us today. I'm just going to ask you to jump right into it. Can you tell us how addictions have impacted your life? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, so my name is Jesse. Um, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and addict. Um, I'll just kind of start from like when I was a kid and then I'll just kind of run it through. I uh, had a really good childhood. Uh, I got a brother, older brother, older sister. Uh, I was born in West Palm Beach, Florida, raised up in Alaska. Had a really good life growing up. My father and mother were both in the military. Not when I was actually growing up, but uh, you know, uh, before that. <clears throat> so moved up to Alaska, uh, about when I was about a month old. So I was raised in Alaska and, um, had a good life, you know, grew up fishing, hunting, doing all those things. Got half my family in Alaska and half in Florida. Um, and my father was a minister for a while. So moved to North Carolina, had like a church on the property and my dad was really active in, 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 uh, in, in the church there for a while and then and then we were absolutely non-active uh, at some point when we moved out here to Phoenix uh, moved out here and uh, I show my age a little bit but I moved out here in the early 80s and um, pretty much had a good life uh, lived in North Phoenix for a little while uh, had a two-story house um, had everything that I wanted you know um, mom and dad never really argued there was no there was no trouble in the house um, and uh then my mom and dad got a divorce uh, in like 86, and uh, that's kind of where things shifted for me. Um, dad got remarried. I was kind of, you know, I didn't take that well. Um, I was shocked. You know, my mom and dad had been married for 20 years. And, um, and dad was like, you know, pulled me and my brother up, up, upstairs and was like, you know, hey, we're going to be getting a divorce. And me and my brother were like, what are you talking about? And uh, I just remember being really angry for quite a long time but um dad kind of <laughs> you know i don't know man sometimes man uh, my dad man he passed away in 99 so rest in peace but uh love him to death man always always will but um he took us up to the grand canyon man and uh we were kind of excited about going to the grand canyon and then uh it was to tell us that you know He's got a new girlfriend, and we were both like, oh. So even till this day, man, I just really, I haven't never been back to the Grand Canyon. I'm not really looking forward to seeing the Grand Canyon either. But uh, um, at that point, mom and him, uh, we kind of moved in. I moved around. Like my seventh grade year, I went to like five different schools, um, uh, back and forth between my mom and him. And then my mom met a, uh, a gentleman who um, she started dating, and then uh, he he was talking about, you know, you guys should move up to New Mexico with me. And, uh, I was kind of like, I don't know. And I, and I liked him, you know, uh, he, uh, he was a country dude, you know, he was raised up on a farm until he was about 19 years old. And, uh, so, uh, we got along really well and, um, we moved and, uh, I decided to go with my mother then, uh, stay with my dad. Um, and my brother and my sister stayed here and, um, Went up to New Mexico in the Four Corners area there, uh, and uh, it was kind of a culture shock. You know, I went from being in Phoenix to a small town of, you know, 3,000 people where I was going to be going to school, and I was just like, you know, this is, uh, where's the school at? And he's just right there, and I'm like, oh, this is this is all bad. And, uh, and then I go, 
well, where are we going now? And we started driving out uh, out even farther. And he goes, well, we're going to the house. And I'm like, that was 10 miles outside there. It was like 20 people in that town. And we had like 10 acres out there. Uh, the one good thing about it is, though, is is that uh, he had a lot of guns and he liked hunting. And also, too, he, had, he got me a motorcycle. So uh, that motorcycle pretty much... It didn't keep me on the straight and narrow, but it's, I'm pretty sure that motorcycle wasn't around. I'd probably be in prison right now. So uh, I um, started going to school. I was the little kid at school who was a skater, had uh, you know an NWA shirt and skater hairdo, and uh, you know, and they had peg pants, and peg pants was out like you know three years ago here in phoenix so everything was like years behind and i was just like this is and they had mullets and i was just like they were listening to metallica and i was like this this is this is gonna suck and i I didn't really fit in and uh i remember uh you know somewhere along the line um i started stealing and uh i like baseball cards a lot so uh I used to go to that Walgreens and uh, just steal baseball cards every weekend. I would go to, I hung out with this other kid that I know, um, and um, and a couple of us, and we and we <clears throat> we started stealing everything we could get our hands on. I, I don't know. Um, some people would say that you know what I mean. They they kind of grew into it or they were born with it. I, I don't know. For me, <clears throat> I'm not sure. You know, there wasn't one thing that happened in my life that like pushed me towards addiction or alcoholism it was just it was just something that uh happened um and it was probably somewhere uh eighth grade ninth grade when i had i started drinking now i had my first drinks obviously and and uh didn't like it hated the taste of it and you know all they drank back there was wild turkey uh yukon jack canadian mist all the hard stuff and uh by my ninth grade year um i was drinking every weekend and uh, I was drinking, passing out drunk, uh, throwing up in my sleep. I'm pretty sure I had alcoholic poisoning, but when you're in a small town and you just kind of have it, you're just like, man, dude, I was just really sick. And, you know, my like my stomach hurt. It was probably my kidneys, man, and my liver being like, yo, bro, you almost died. But, you know, drinking two or three 40s a weekend and, and then drinking Hornets and uh, drinking fifth of whiskey. And that just happened like every single weekend and uh i didn't really get into anything besides alcohol um i was wrestling through high school for a little bit and uh you know i I stole uh i stole a lot of stuff i mean you know um blew up cars um beat up people got beat up um put myself into a lot of rough situations in school and uh detectives at the house mom covering up for me and uh Somewhere along the line, I smoked some weed in like 11th grade, and I was kind of like, this is tight. I like this, but you could never get it in a small town, so it was like once every three months we got it, and it was shitty weed, so, and um, I had this little huffing stage in in eighth grade, ninth grade, too, where, you know, they had the wood shop, and uh, they had the stuff that they would put on the actual wood to finish the wood and uh, i remember these guys were over there sniffing it and uh and i was like 
you guys are retarded, you know what I mean? And uh, and they pull it back, and they look all cross-eyed, and I'm like, ah, do you want to do something? I'm like, no, dude. And and then, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, it was the whole, well, you know, don't be a bitch. And I was like, well, let me see that freaking tank, dude. And then I started huffing that, and, you know, and that whole stage went on. And through high school, uh, I remember it got so bad my 11th grade year. I remember one time me and my buddy were in the we're in his uh, garage, and we were getting ready to go to a school dance, and we were like, we were, we were just going to, we had a lawnmower engine, and we put some towel around it, and we were huffing the gas out of it, and we were like, we're going to get really high, and then we're going to go to the school dance, right? And uh, I remember we got caught in this garage doing that, man, and, uh, you know, and uh, dad comes in, he's like, what are you guys doing? And he was like, oh, you know, well, well, we're huffing gas out of the lawnmower engine, I mean. Um, doesn't everybody do that? No. Okay. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> and uh, fast forward a little bit. I um, when I turned twenty, uh, nineteen twenty, I moved to Florida for a little bit. Came back here and um, moved in with my sister, sister's boyfriend. Uh, I was laying carpet and towel with him, and um, and I had a. <clears throat> I was really tired, and I was right out of wrestling, out of high school, so I was in pretty good shape. And I just couldn't get how he was working all the time and and never tired and she just said oh he just works hard and i'm like no there's something going on you know what i mean come on man that's like we worked 17 hours yesterday and he slept for like three hours and he's ready to rock and roll again and i'm like i'm i'm just destroyed and uh, <clears throat> i remember i was with him and uh, i was telling him, man I'm like i am tired dude i just don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this no more and, he, and he's like uh well i got some stuff dude it'll help you like you know get through work and you know and work harder you know what i mean i'm like well what is it and he's like he's like well it's like cocaine and i'm like well i like cocaine you know what i mean um and uh and i go well what is it and he goes well it's crystal meth and i'm like all right cool um no no you know i'm not gonna do that and then you know he put a he's like well i'll just put a little line out here on the toilet and then you can go away well uh you know that obsession kicks in and then uh and i and i walk away from it <clears throat> and i go back in the bathroom and then i'm like no and then and then finally i just i blasted that line um well that was it uh that was uh a whole year uh, until I got off of meth and, uh, you know, I got down to about 120, 125 pounds, man. I was really, really skinny and, uh, looked really rough. You couldn't have told me any different if I looked in the mirror neither, man, because I was convinced that, you know, I was okay and everything was fine. Even though I'd been up for three or four days and I was hearing the phone ringing, you know, people just say, you know, you're like doing recon on the roof, you know, and you're peeking out the blinds and, you know, and the family, uh, whole situation I was in was dysfunctional Christmas trees flying out of the front door at Christmas time. And, you know, and, and just, you know, driving around, you know, out of 83rd and Peoria, you know, my car that had like two year old tags and the whole back window knocked out and, and nothing, no registration, no nothing you know with like an eight ball meth you know been up for two or three days i mean you know and that was just kind of where i was at and we ended up uh what happened was uh i ended up uh i ended up getting um my girlfriend at the time who became later became my wife uh pregnant and um and uh she said she was gonna leave me man if i didn't if i didn't quit you know doing the meth now we had done it together previously um a little bit you know what i mean and i decided to uh I decided to quit, you know, um, and I said, okay, I'm not going to do no more. Now, I remember I, I remember I had quit for like three days and my body was aching so bad. I mean, doing meth is like your body being on maximum overdrive for however long you're on it. Like, I mean, imagine just like 
you know, grabbing the tightest grip that you can grab for like about 10 hours and not letting go. Your muscles are so sore, your teeth, your jaw, you've been grinding your teeth. Uh, everything is absolutely just aching. So when you do get clean, immediately, the only thing that can give you any kind of relief is this, is, another, is to smoke more, shoot more, or do another line. That's it. Um, so that's where that physical addiction came in. And then also, too, I had that mental obsession where I was just... Uh, overwhelmed with that and uh, told I was going to quit and uh, about three days later I ended up I was going to just do a little line because I was tired and uh, a little line called her on the phone she's like what are you doing and I'm like oh nothing man just at work man she's like you know first things first you know are you high you know normal response for an addict is no why see the why at the end of it always gives you a good sign that it's probably not the truth (laughs) Oh, why? Do I, what do you mean? Do I look high? Because uh, I'm not. Um, and and sure enough, I uh, I freaking uh, she left, and uh, and then I just ended up quitting. And uh, I went cold turkey, like white knuckle, they would say, for uh, about two or three years, and uh, didn't really have that too much of a, a, a spell with uh, with Crystal. I did have a tooth pole, a wisdom tooth pole. The story is pretty much everybody's, but it's mine too as well. And uh, they gave me some Vicodin. And uh, I was probably like 20 or 21. And I remember that when I took that, that was it. I had arrived. You know, uh, the seas had parted. The sun had came down. Things was happening. And I was like, yeah, no, I could do this for the rest of my life. If we can just keep this going on forever, everything's going to be great. And uh, I kind of had my spell with pills from that for like the next 20 years. And... Uh, Ended up uh, getting a divorce. The marriage just went to shit. Um, neither one of us were even, you know, I was young, 19 going on 20. She was younger than me. Uh, we just uh, didn't have the tools at that time, man, you know. And um, and then I ended up doing some different things. And then I ended up joining the Funk Junkies. And uh, I ended up uh, starting to tour and go on the road. Um, now, on my road days, which is probably from about... 99 until about 2011 I um I the the next how many ever years was straight Percocet footballs Zannies coke acid drinking um they're Zannies they're the they're the smaller version of the Zanny bars and um and I just uh anything I get my hands on you know and uh and in 2004 I went over to um we it was our first time over in Japan and uh and me and uh me and my other buddy in the band we uh we actually uh met this dude his name was Oxy Bob and we were kind of interested why he was named Oxy Bob and uh sure enough he's like he's like I'm like He's like, hey, you guys do pills? And we were like, well, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you, stupid? And he uh, goes, I got some stuff. It's called oxycodone. And um, sure enough, I'm like, yeah. He said, oh, well, I'm like, what is it? He's just like, it's just like Vicodin. You know what I mean? It's just like Percocet. And I was like, oh, cool. That sounds tight. And we're in Japan where you can't get no drugs and you can't. You know, you, you you can't even smoke weed over there. It's like you, know, you got to know people that know people that know people, and uh, and you got to go up like through an alley, through a gateway, through another alley to even like get to any kind of greenery. And um, 
and I remember I did that, and uh, that started the whole kick. Um, came back home, immediately uh, started getting oxycodone. Um, a lot of people call it different different things, man, but uh, oxycodone is just the same as oxycodone. It's just the same as, which is Percocet, um, which is just the synthetic heroin. And uh, some people back in the Midwest or the East would call it hillbilly heroin because it was really popular in that Kentucky area. Um, and um, sure enough, man, that, that started a whole deal, man. And, uh, you know, I ended up doing Oxycontin and being on the road. I would clean up here and there. and uh, But I always, you know, pretty steadily was either smoking weed, doing coke, drinking, or and, and through all of that I was taking a lot of pills. And um, 2008, started working a plumbing job when I was off the road for a little while. Uh, and uh, frickin' was stealing shit out of everybody's medicine cabinet while I was working for a plumbing company. And I got caught doing that out here in Scottsdale, kind of like right out here by where we were at. I remember I was in the medicine cabinet, and I was like, well, we need to make sure that we do an inspection of the whole house, make sure there's nothing wrong in here. He's like, yeah, but I got a leak out in my front yard. And I'm like... Yeah, but, you know, we want to make sure to do a whole inspection. And uh, sure enough, I was in his bathroom, and, you know, my only thought was is that I'm going into this dude's medicine cabinet, and I pulled open that. And I'd been doing it for, like, a long time at that point, and I pulled open the medicine cabinet, and I was, like, in it. And out of nowhere, he was like, hey! <laughs> and I was like, oh. So at this point, you know you're caught. My back's to him. I'm in the medicine cabinet. What am I doing in the medicine cabinet, man? I'm here to fix the plumbing. And, uh, and I remember him cussing at me and getting me out of there. And then I had to call my boss and, uh, I ended up losing my job, losing the work, man. Luckily they didn't press charges, man. Uh, another blessing. Uh, I've had too many to even name. I gotta be honest with you. Um, but, um, and then my family kind of knew that I was in and out of, uh, you know, a heart addiction there for, for, for quite a while. Um, and then uh, that ran on to, you know, we stopped touring. And then that's when it really went. And I had, in 2010, 2011, I had four lithotripsies for kidney stones. I had like 12 kidney stones. So that, like, I was already full-blown in my addiction. After that, it was like, I was like completely like gone. And uh, hustling the whole time, too, as well. I hustled weed for a long time when I first started, managed that well, and I thought, well, I'll just hustle pills. This is great, you know. They people fiending for them, and I can make a lot of money. They're small, and they and they pack a punch, and I can get a lot of money. And uh, started getting into the hustling, and uh, 2011, 2012 uh, was pretty much just robbing people, getting robbed, getting ripped off, um, you know, stealing shit from my mom, helping her look for it, uh, nodding out on the sofa, burning up shit, uh, nodding out my daughter's uh, bedroom when she had, you know, girlfriends over. I come in there and say what's up. Next thing you know, I'd be like completely like gone, like passed out. Um, I passed out one time, man, from taking so many Zanny bars and my foot was hanging off the bed. And I woke up about 16 hours later and uh, my freaking foot was numb. And I couldn't feel it. And I thought, well, it's just asleep. I got to walk it off, right? And I got up to walk on it. almost broke my whole freaking ankle. And I went to the hospital. And I was like, what's up? And he's like, and they're like, oh, yeah, now you got drop foot. And I'm like, what is that? And they go, yeah, it's just like the nerves and damage, you know? Um, it's like when your limb, you you lose the, the feeling and, and you, you lose the actual, just everything. Uh, and uh, 
I was like, well, cool. Why don't you guys go ahead and fix it? And they're like, yeah, no, we can't do nothing. It's pretty much just going to put you in this boot cast, this foot, you know, freaking cast. And uh, hopefully the feeling will come back. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, no. Yeah. And I'm like, honestly, it was going all the way up my right leg. Like on the right side, it was all you. It was like numb, like when you can't feel it. I couldn't move my toes. I couldn't move my foot. So I was like a gimp. And uh, I remember my brother seeing me. Every time I came to see him, man, he was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, oh, man, well, you know, I always had a story for something, man. You know what I mean? It's like always had a story, dude. I'm just really tired, man. And I heard you passed out at the studio. like, And I was like this. Who told you that? And he's like, no, bro, seriously, man. What is, what's up, dude? And I'm like, because I started blacking out at the end, man. I would just go into a Circle K. And uh, I remember so many times that I would just, like, start to get a little bit, you know, a little bit of losing my balance and a little bit, like, uh, dizzy. And the next thing you know, I would be out, like, and I'd wake up and there'd be, like, eight people around me at the Circle K in the end convenience store talking about we're going to call the ambulance and i don't know what was happening honestly um i mean i'll get a little bit graphic with you but i had this is how this is i I give you my last week how my last week went was this is that um i was hustling a lot um i had a lot of people that i was hooking up um and so when i decided that you know i was going to finally go get help um it was just getting to the point where my mom was going to move out of state. I was going to have a place to stay. And, uh, and it was getting really, my will to live, man, was just so thin at that point that I was really like having suicidal thoughts. I was like, I'm just going to have to check out. This isn't, this isn't going to work. Um, this isn't what I was meant for. Um, this life that I'm living, it was so depressing. It was so, I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. I was so hopeless that. I was just like, well, you know what, man? I, I can't stop doing drugs. I don't know a life without drugs. I don't even, I, at that point, I just absolutely for sure was like, it's just not possible. You know what I mean? I'm going to be a drug addict, and I'm going to end up dying this way or ended up in prison. The problem is, is is that I never died. I always ended up at a hospital, whether I got there. You know, I had like 10 or 11 trips, 12 trips to the hospital in 2012, and a couple times I didn't even know how I got there. I was just at somebody's house, and they called the ambulance, and I woke up in a random hospital like Maryville or out of Banner. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where I was just going there all the time. Sometimes I'd go there because I just needed to get some – I couldn't get nothing, so I would be like, yo, my foot's jacked up, you know, or – you know, I get so bad. It's like you drop a bowling ball on your foot just to get some some pain medication. I mean, that that's insanity. And um, I can't tell you how many times I was like, "Yo, I'm I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna get it together tomorrow. I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna get it together." And uh, you know, once I get this job, you know, I get a girlfriend. You know, once I get the car, you know, once I uh, once I once 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 once, and it was just like thousands of attempts at trying to stop, man. And um, you know. You know, it's like all my knowledge, everything that I knew until I was, uh, uh, you know, all the cloth that I was cut from, all my experience, everything, all my street smarts, nothing. Couldn't do it. Couldn't quit. And um, and then I uh, ended up having like, you know, several dudes out of my house. I mean, my daughter was like 17 years old at that time. And uh, there was like dudes out in front of my house with like guns and they were there to rob me. And, uh, and I lived way out in Buckeye. Nobody even knew where I lived. Nobody had ever been there, man. But I, I guess they ran my DMV or something, man. But that's how bad it got. 
Um, so that was a um, that was eye opening experience. This is that my my addiction, man, for me, man, when it was just me, it was no big deal. But once it become my family, man, it uh, that really smashed home to me. And and also too, going to the doctors for the last two or three months before I got clean was just like you're dying, dude. And uh, you know, so I uh, finally was like, yo, I'm gonna go get help. Now, when I went in to get help, uh, at that point, man, you know, I had. I was constipated. I wasn't shitting, but like once a week, um, I had hemorrhoids. Uh, my pancreas was all inflamed, um, kidneys, liver, you know, uh, insomnia, uh, you name it. And um, I was like, I don't know, I'm, but I'm going to go get help now. Uh, and then I ended up going through uh, Community Bridges, which is downtown. Uh, it's a place that does detox, and you have to sit in like this crisis area for about, I don't know, um, until you get admitted to detox you got to fit the criteria and uh i just remember guys in there like i'm dying i gotta get him to detox and i'm thinking i'm just not a good enough actor there's no way i'm gonna get in did you see that dude man like he looks like he's about to have a heart attack and i'm over here like and i'm like quiet dude like i keep it to myself i'll sit over in the corner and just sweat bullets but i and people are like how you doing i'm like i'm rough and they kept asking me, like, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm struggling. And they're like, do you want to get help? Yeah. And I remember finally I was like, yo, I'm just going to check out of here, dude, if I'm not going to get in a detox or something, man. You know, it's like every two hours they're waking me up for vitals. You got these peanut butter sandwiches. You know, dudes are like, you know, people are having seizures. And, you know, there's all kinds of drugs on the outside. And people are passing out and pissing on themselves. I mean, it's like Vietnam down there. And, uh and it's not really the place you want to be anyways. I remember my brother dropped me off, and he goes, dude, you going to be all right in here, bro? And I'm like, yeah, no, I guess I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> and I'm looking around going, well, yeah, um, this is my new home, <laughs> I guess. And he was, like, looking at me like, dude, I love you, bro. I got to go. <laughs> and uh, and I ended up uh, getting into detox. And uh, I got into detox. They gave me some Subutex, which is like Suboxone. And that's usually what they do for like three days when you do get clean off of uh, heroin, heroin or opiates. If it's alcohol, it's usually like Valium. But they, they keep you pretty sedated in there as far as sleeping medication and and uh, as far as like Vistrol. A lot of that stuff's non-narcotic. Um, and, um, and that was the first meeting that I ever went to. Uh, I went in there and they said, you know, you're going to have to work the 12 steps. And, you know, you're going to have to find a sponsor and uh, you're probably going to have to go to like a, a treatment facility, like a halfway house. Now, I only thought halfway houses were like for guys on parole or in prison. I didn't know that they were actually like treatment facilities for people who are recovering addicts and alcoholics. Um, so let you know how little I knew. And I was 38 at that time. And, and I'd been around a lot of drugs and I just never was even like never knew about it. Never knew there was a solution. Never knew that uh, there was any. And if I did, I didn't hear it. I wasn't even ready, you know. And uh, and that was the first time I ever identified myself as an addict in that meeting. And I didn't identify myself as an alcoholic. I spoke with you earlier because I hadn't drank for a few years, man. So I've, I was pretty sure that I wasn't an alcoholic. I never drank properly, though, uh, for, for all my life, you know. Um, seven goose and, and cranberries, you know, in an hour was like regular, you know, deal for me. And... Um, I ended up going to a place called Crossroads Arcadia. Uh, they had been talking about it while I was in detox, and they said, you know, you got to do chores, and they pack you lunches, and it's like a 30-day. At that time, it was a 21-day inpatient program, and uh, they, they run you through these classes and everything, and my mom helped out with the money for me to get in there, and, um, and I ended up going in there, and 
detox to crossroads i had one day i was going to go check in my mom went in there with me like and and they said well you know let's get you checked in and i was like yeah um well and i had a girl i was seeing at the time i'm like yeah well i gotta get some stuff together you know what i'm saying but the reality is is that that was five days out and the minute they that i came out of detox and they stopped giving me that subutex that mental obsession to get high was back with a vengeance and that's all i could think about was getting high so my plan was is that I was going to take a night off and go get high. And um, and sure enough, man, as soon as I got out of there, you know, my brother called me up and he's like, where are you at, dude? And I'm like, well, I just go over to the girls you know, tonight and I'm going to go back in tomorrow morning. And I remember him being like, dude, you were supposed to go straight to Crossroads. <laughs> and he was so mad. And he was like, you better not get high. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm good. The reality is when he called me, man, I was like en route to go pick up. And, uh, couple phone calls he made to me man and uh and i remember and i don't even know if he remembers that but uh it's another god shot i don't know how it happened but um i ended up staying clean and i ended up going in the next morning and um and that's when uh that was august 29 2012 and that's when i decided that was actually that was like september 6th or 5th uh i went in detox on the 29th and um and I came in there, you know what I mean? And every day was kind of the same, you know? It was like, we're going to go to these classes every day. They're going to, you know, they kind of had classes about learning about your addiction, about being codependent, uh, you know, and having, you know, certain types of behavior and tools and what the drugs do to your brain and uh, the things that you're going to have to do to, you know, not only get clean, getting clean is not that hard. Um, staying clean is a little bit tougher for the first little period of time and uh they talked about god a lot but uh the one thing that they did talk about was a god of your understanding which uh i could relate to because i was kind of raised on you know a different idea or, or whatever the case a different different set of beliefs and then like i said my dad was in the church and then he was out of it so i was i wasn't really a believer but you know i always tell people that you know that i always ask people you know before they before they get clean and sober if they don't believe in god or, or the god say per se of it whether it be you know uh jesus christ or if it be you know uh, whatever it may be to you it might be you know it might be hinduism it might be buddhism it might be muslim whatever the case um is is that i always say how many people have prayed in here man before they came in here and you know i usually get like i don't know four or five hands out of 30 or 40 guys and the reality is, is that, you know, we'll flip it one time is to say, how many times did you get pulled over? And you said, uh, boy, I pray they don't, they don't find this in the trunk. I pray my mama don't find out that I've been getting high. I pray she don't find out that I've been getting into her wallet. Right? I don't know what you were praying to, and I don't know what I was praying to do, but I can tell you I was praying to something bigger out there to come down and save my ass. And... Um, and also, too, after that got done and, and you got past that, the first thing we always said was, thank God I didn't get caught with that. So the ideal, the fundamental ideals of that have been with us in, here in America. They're, they're with us at a kid. You know, it's, it's all the, you know, the principles that we're raised on, man. Uh, and they're spiritual, you know, principles, uh, you know, people with integrity, you know, a strong moral compass is that, you know. Don't shit at the table, you know what I mean? Don't burp. Um, you know, uh, treat women with respect. Um, you know, 
Um, treat your elders right, you know, open the door for the lady, you know, get a good job, get good grades, you know what I mean? Make something of yourself. Don't tell nobody you can't, you can, you know, all those things. And they're just, uh, they're, they're in us, man. Um, but somewhere along the line, man, we lose focus of all of that. And, uh, we start to have this behavior that comes along. So I, uh, I started working the 12 step program, uh, and they said, you got to get a sponsor. I got a sponsor at that time who was halfway, half my age, but he had been shooting heroin for five years and he was 20 years old and he had like felonies and he was riding the bus down there and he was smiling and he had about nine months clean. And I was just, I just couldn't put my hands around it. Yeah. I'm like, like, where's the Kool-Aid? Where, where's the magic pill? You guys, this book. There's got to be something more, man. I need something more. I need proof. I need evidence. And uh, it's hard to tell anybody, man. It's the experience, you know. Um, And uh, I ended up going through the 12 steps. And um, that guy showed me a whole lot of life, man, that I had never seen on the spiritual side. Um, Now, my experience as far as, like, careers and as far as daughter and as far as being married and all that, you know, yeah, that's one thing I had. But, you know, out of all that touring over the years, over the road, and and all the careers that I had in management, whatever, I still ended up at a bunk bed in a halfway house at a treatment facility. So, uh, whatever I had... I had to squash because uh, I ended up here just like the rest of uh, rest of these guys. So I was no different. I had a hard time identifying when I first came in. I wanted to uh, separate myself. And, you know, I was pretty sure that I was just going to smoke some weed and, and I was going to go do my thing after 20 or 30 days. But after about 10 days, man, I really, really had a really strong urge to get high, like to the point where I was like, yo, I'm going to leave this place. I was sick of the, I was sick of the nine managers. I was sick of the chores. I was sick of the meetings. And I was like, yo, I'm just, I ain't like you. And, uh, and I'm like, I got this. And I remember people like, oh, you got this? Because that's what we always say. Oh, you good? Yeah. Okay, cool, bro. God bless you. Hope that works out, dude. And, uh. And I'm like, don't mock me, dude. I'm not playing with you right now. I'm serious, bro. I'm not like you. And then, uh, and that was that denial. Um, what took me so long to get in was the denial. Uh, I couldn't get honest with myself, man. Um, I was in denial. I really, for sure, 150% thought that I could do it on my own. Um, and that's what a lot of us think is that we, we can do it on our own. I can get this. Um, just one more try, you know, this time, this, this time, this time's for sure. <laughs> and I ran that this time, man, for like, well, on Wednesday, I'm going to go get it cracking. I'm going to go down to detox on Monday. I'm going to go get help on Thursday. The, the problem is, is that I went on the road the last time in January. And I'll give you an example of how, how insane this is, is that I cleaned up when I went out on the road for about three or four weeks and I hadn't done anything. I came back two days before I came back. I had already lined up to get it cracking. And when I landed in January of 2012, I ran that overdrive all the way until August. Not one day break. And hospitals, robbing people, and running my family like through the trenches. I absolutely destroyed my mother um god bless her i love her now yeah i just seen her but um i i just you know we we, that's the thing with family and friends of addicts is is that we absolutely we absolutely at some point or another if they're with us through our active addiction we rob them of any security they have they will be insecure 
They will be frail. Uh, they will be stripped clean. We just suck the soul out of them. And when we get done, um, there's a really good possibility that they're probably going to need some help. I don't know how they're going to do it. It could be a form of kind of what you're doing, which is really helpful is, is that to be an advocate or, or to just educate yourself on how we can help because it just really takes a toll, man. You got people that were confident. You got people that were strong-willed, that had all kinds of drive and ambition. And by the time that, that, that I got done, my mom, my brother told me my mom looked so rough, man. When I went into detox, he, he's like, I never seen mom look that rough. And I look back on pictures and I'm like, it's hard. It's hard to look back at him, man. You're like, you know, I tell my mom, and she's like, ah, oh, you did so great. But, I mean, like, still, you know, um, I always tell people, I don't rehash or live in the past, but I sure don't ever forget that, man. I don't, I never will forget how much uh, I put my family through. Um, and I, I completed the steps, and uh, I became an active member of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I... Um, I did what was suggested uh, through that whole process, man. The inventory, I found out that my behavior and and a lot of my resentments and a lot of my anger um, had to, had a. They all came back to a lot of things, man. And uh, I was really selfish. I was really self centered, really dishonest, and really fearful. I mean, really fearful about everything. And uh, and my um, my understanding uh, of God at that point, man, was something that I kind of came to believe in. And uh, I really believe, like me and you sitting here right now, is is God at work. You know, it's all over. It's it's people like meeting people and and actually sharing that experience. And uh, I mean, I can't really put my finger on it. You know, it's right there, but uh, I know it when I feel it, and I know it when I see it. And um, and I ended up, uh, you know, having that complete psyche change that they talked about. And I remember at summertime after about the fourth, fifth step, which is where they do inventory, I woke up, man, and I, and I didn't want to get high. And I was like, um, what's going on? And I remember that that part of that process is talking about who you're angry with and, and, and what it affected and what your part was in the whole deal and what your fears were around it. And... Uh, and the things that I shared with that man is something that I had shared with nobody in my life, you know, and that was my dad passing and that was everything that all this stuff that I was carrying around, like, like a big ass U-Haul would just, you know, crap falling out of the back of it. And, um, and I had a lot of relief in that. I found a lot of relief in that, that number one is, is that I wasn't alone. He had the same story. Some worse, some better, but we're all pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, and I felt like, wow, man, this dude's 20 years old, man. And and he just, uh, he had the spirit shining in him, man. And I just was like, yo, uh, he had something I wanted. And I, and I just kind of followed his suggestions and what it suggested in the book. It's a recipe for disaster if you don't, and it's a recipe for success if you do. I really haven't seen it not work for anybody. But a part of it was doing the amends and, uh, you know, calling my... Uh, you know, calling my daughter up and, and getting right with her that, you know, dad, uh, unfortunately, dad was a drug dealer for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was getting high a lot of that time, you know, even hell at her eighth grade graduation. I was, I see pictures of it and I was getting high in that bathroom, you know, but that's what I did. Cocaine, acid, you name it. And I got clean. 
I got clean and uh, let her know that I deprived the father she deserved and let my mom know that I deprived her of the son she deserved, my brother. And uh, I got clean with it, you know, and my brother was like, yeah, you know, you need to pay back some of that money you owe because I ran up the bank credit card there a little bit. And uh, he was like, bro, you're a thief. And I remember you know, when your brother calls you a thief, you're like, well, uh, bro, that's pretty rough. I mean, you could be like, I stole some stuff, but no, he was like, no, you're a thief, dude. You stole that money from me. And I was like, God, got words. Um, and um, and then I just ended up, uh, I started sponsoring guys, bringing them through the steps. I ended up working at Crossroads as well, uh, being the mentor for the Right Track program, uh, which was just kind of uh, checking the guys in, taking the UAs, things of that nature. And uh, after like pretty much completing the steps, I found a purpose in in a, and um, and I started um, and I'm and, and I'm active in all of them AA uh, Alcoholics Anonymous Cocaine Anonymous uh, Narcotics Anonymous uh, Heroin Anonymous Marijuana Anonymous Anyone Anonymous uh, If you're an addict or alcoholic then uh, then I'm absolutely about trying to get you some help if you're if you're if you're there and uh, and since then I don't know I've just uh, I've kind of uh, built a relationship with the God of my understanding. Uh, I meditate and pray on a daily basis. I work with guys uh, on a daily basis. Um, I have uh, a wealth of new friends. Uh, I have a whole new set of ideals, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. That in return, has gave me a new way of life. Um, I um, I absolutely uh, I fight for those that are uh, less fortunate and lost in the struggle. I try to carry a message and and uh, as best I can and uh, and try to practice the principles that I've learned through this whole process, man, on a daily basis. I um, I help people get into detox. I help them get into treatment. I help them get placement, um, and then I help them do the steps as well. I encourage them to do the things that are suggested, which is you know to to give back the gift that was so freely given to me. Um, and, uh, if not, man, then we don't really, we're not really, we're not really doing what's, uh, what's going to work and what, what's suggested. You really, the gift is giving it back. Um, because I mean, the more that we give back, the more, uh, we carry the message and more people that become aware about it, that there is a solution. You don't have to live like that no more. And also on the flip side of it, you did say family and friends. I, I, I do want to touch on that real quick is, is that with friends and family, it's important too, man. I encourage any family or friends that have people that are in active addiction or alcoholism is, is to, is to do your homework. You know, um, speak with some people that are recovered um, because it'll give you some tools on, you know, where not to enable and how to gauge how to help a person, man. And unfortunately, you know, we can't enable these people, man. It just makes it worse. At some point, you know, you got to take away the cell phone. You can't stay here. You know, do you want to get help? No. Well, God bless you and I'll pray for you, but you got to leave. But the thing is, is that uh, as a family member, a friend, you know, there's a good possibility that. That might be the last time you see him, and that and that and that's a sad reality. But in return, is, is it's not your responsibility, uh, and, and it's not your fault. They're going to do whatever they're going to do, regardless. Um, you can either hold on to them for a year in active addiction and watch them shoot heroin, or watch them smoke meth, or watch them drink fists of whiskey every day at your house and slowly kill themselves. Or you can pull back the reins in the hope that they might go get help. Because that's the only thing that will usually work. Uh, for me, I had to get to that point. I had to get to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and everybody's bottom of the barrel will be different. I don't know what everybody's is. For me, it just got so dark that I was like, okay, 
I either go get something cracking or I'm going to have to check out because this life that I'm living ain't one I'm proud of, not one that I even thought, man, for any any point in my life that I would be living. And uh, I was just really, you know, it's the shame. It's the, it's the guilt. It's the embarrassment. It's the anxiety. It's the fear. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm a jealous person. I manipulate people. I'm a liar, a uh, habitual liar. Um, I'm in denial. Um, you know, you're talking about hundreds of things that are, going on in my head and uh that's what the whole process helps you do it helps you just start meditating man so you can get out of your head and then it helps you with prayer finding a, a higher power a god of your understanding um and that you can start to lean on and look outside of yourself for that direction because you know for me uh, i'll leave it with this this is this is how it works my gut would tell me you know hey smoking crack is a bad idea if i'm a crack smoker but then, you know, if I'm a crack smoker and it goes to my head, then I'm like this. Um, I might entertain that for a second. I might validate it. You know, I'm having a rough day. Plus, and then the mental obsession comes in. At some point or another, um, you start to, you know, look for the guidance and, and, and direction outside of yourself, which is, is that, you know, for me, uh, something I always ask myself no matter what the situation or scenario is, is that what would God want me to do? What would my God and my understanding want me to do in this situation? And I try to practice that more and more, and I have over the years, and it's become a way of life for me. Like, I look at that. Somebody's pulling on the road. I, if I was to ask myself, what would God want me to do? They want me to let them in. Um, <laughs> you know, if somebody came up to me and called me some cuss words, would they want me? Would he want me to retaliate, man, and say something? No, he want you to be the bigger person. Be like, God bless you, man. I hope you have a good day. And that's what I started doing. And, and people, people are like in shock about it sometimes. But for me, I could never deny the spirit crazy but when i was in my addiction i would watch the church channel sometimes and i would see him i would hear him carrying that the message and i and i would be like uh and i don't know what i was hearing but i was hearing something um but i was hearing the hope and uh that's for me that's where i'm at i try to bring hope to the situation and knowing that you don't have to live like that no more there is a better solution you're not alone uh absolutely is attainable uh it's something that i did and, and millions of others have um i don't have the answers but we do have a solution, man. And uh, it's just going to take a little bit of willingness and a little bit of honesty, man. And then at that point, just trust the process. What, what you got to lose? The reality is you're going to have to do it like you did the dope or you did the meth or you did the coke. You're going to have to do it like you did that. And you did that by all means necessary. You've stole from your mom. You robbed people, whatever. You, you ran over people. You, you run through them. Uh, you, did, you didn't try to do that. You did it. So when it comes to actually working your recovery, you need to do the same thing, the same amount of ambition, the same amount of drive, the same amount of energy, the same amount of focus and dedication, man, like your life depends on it, because it does. Um, and, uh, and that's all I got. Thank you for sharing your story. So I have a, quick, a few questions. Um, one, you had said that you were running some websites. Do you have anything that you want to talk about or tell, tell people where they can find you or anything about? I'll give a shout out. Uh, I got, I'll give a shout out. Um, so, um, 
you know, in a lot of uh, recovery, I've been really blessed here in Phoenix. We got a really big fellowship here, so um, uh, most of my recovery is is face to face, and uh, I have I'm a part of a lot of men's groups that are really active. And uh, but you know, when you get into the Midwest and you get into smaller towns, it's not the case. So um, there is several sites. Uh, there's the Fuck Heroin Foundation, which they're advocates of it. There's other online gro- groups like uh, Soberlicious, Rockstar Recovery. Uh, I started a page that's uh, we stand together. There's, uh, you know, um, one day at a time. There's sobriety here in Phoenix. There's a bunch of them. If you guys go on Facebook and, and you look for, like, recovery and you look online, there's all kinds of people that are active in recovery, man, that will actually guide you and help you, man, with, with you know, the first steps, the baby steps of getting clean. And, and, and when you're struggling, you can reach out. And you can post something, man. You know, they're all closed groups. They're not open groups. So that means that, you know, what you say in there stays in there just like it was a meeting. So it's a, it's a beautiful place for people that don't have access to everything that, you know, you typically would in, in like a bigger city or something like that. So, Cool. Thank you. Is there anything else that you feel like sharing? No, that's it. I, We're appreciate, good? I appreciate you. I appreciate you letting me come through and uh, do this. Um, I just, uh, I just want to let people know that, you know, uh, you do have a, uh, at some point or another opportunity or a chance to go out and, uh, and, and get a different life. I believe you deserve it. Um, I believe uh, that you're worth it, you know. Um, I love everybody out there, and that that wasn't the case. I hated everybody for a lot of years, but uh, the reality is if I would have known now, I would have known back then. I don't know if I would have got it back then, but I can tell you right now is is if you are struggling, and uh, whether it be drugs or alcohol, reach out. I guarantee you we can point you in the right direction, and I'm positive you don't have to live like that. The the reality of it is, is that if you do what's suggested and you do the work that's required, you absolutely will never want to get high again. And that's, that's the promises. That's the actual promise of the actual work is, is that uh, you find that, that spiritual solution, uh, you know. And I always say is that uh, there's no chemical solution for a spiritual solution. There never will be. So with that, that's it. That's beautiful. Thank you. All right, Jesse, once again, I'm sure you're listening. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and yourself. Do you want to let everyone know to head on back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 19. And I will have links that Jesse referenced in there as well as some other information and some fun pictures. So head on back to the show notes and check those out couple other things I want to let you guys know about. If you don't already know, recoverybrands.com forward slash lives, once again in the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 19, is running a challenge right now. And they're running it through May 23rd at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What they're looking for is for people to create a one to three minute video that inspires people that are struggling with addiction to actually go out and seek treatment. And they want us to help come together to reduce the stigma associated with the disease. Another interesting little tidbit is they're giving away $10,000 to people that are doing this. So they're doing a $5,000 People's Choice Award, $5,000 judges choice award and so i'm gonna link to the submission page on my uh on my show notes and you guys can go back there and take a look at that i'm currently as of recording this 
on <laughs> Monday, March 28th. I'm in the process of creating my video and I would love it if you come back and vote for me. That'll help me be able to put more money into the podcast and create more marketing opportunities and get more people listening. So I will also link to that on the show notes as soon as I have it up. If it's not up the, the day this goes live, please come back and check it out. I really appreciate you for spending your time today with Jesse and myself. I'll talk to you next week. Love ya. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com Thank you.